Now, I praise God for the vision that this church has had over the, the decades, uh, the vision for mission, the, the support it has given to missions, the involvement of various members over the years. And um, I know that there are still a few here, might be just a small handful, but there are a few here who have been around 40, 50, 60 years, maybe more. I'm not going to embarrass anybody and ask you how long you've been here. But uh, a little bit of, of history to start out with uh, this morning. When I was in Brazil, northern Brazil, a month ago, teaching at a seminary there, one Sunday I went to a particular church there where I was preaching, and I noticed that in the back of the church they had a bulletin board, and on that bulletin board they had uh, pictures of various of the pastors that had been pastoring that church since its founding at the end of the 1950s. The first picture, the actual founder of that church, was a missionary, American missionary, by the name of Robert Collins. Uh, some of you may have heard of Robert Collins. I think many may, if anybody remembers him, he went more by the name of Bob Collins. But I mentioned Bob Collins, uh, who started this church between 1955 and 1957 there in Brazil. And about 10 or 12 years after that time period, he visited in this church. And at that time, he, I don't think he was ever supported by this church, but he, he challenged the, the young people in particular in regards to the ministry, in regards especially to missions. And there was a young lady, high school young lady, that was challenged by what he spoke. And praise God that young lady has served as a missionary for almost 40 years alongside of me. It's my wife. Uh, Dee Perry at the time, Dee Mitchell now. You know uh, Leona Perry, my mother-in-law. And I just mentioned this to show how God works in mysterious ways. Now, I'm sure those of you who have been here for a long period of time probably know a few other names during that time period that eventually went out as missionaries or ministry. Some of you probably can name more than I can remember, but I remember at least two names besides my own wife at that time. Uh, Al Williams, who grew up in this church, as well as Cliff Jensen, whose father pastored this church for, I don't know, 20, 25 years, I believe. Uh, those are two other names that I think of young people who grew up in this church a while back and have served the Lord faithfully over the years. More recently, God has raised up a few others from our midst. I'll never forget the day just a few years ago when Peter Hill came up here and informed the church that God had called him to the ministry. Today he's serving. I think of another one, Hal Hudson. 
I know he's still, I don't think he's quite finished up with his studies, but he's preparing for the ministry. Now, in between those two time periods, a long time period, I imagine there have probably been scores, if not hundreds, of young people. And some of you were young people in the church at one time as well. Uh, I've only been affiliated with the church for only 46 years. So, you know, there's a few of you that have been around a little longer than I have. But to see how God has worked in the midst of this congregation, of this church, and raised up those who are today in the ministry or preparing for the ministry. Praise God for that. Now, having said that, I have to admit that there have been times where I've been a little saddened that more people have not been raised up. This church has tremendous potential, even today, and has over all these years. I thank God for those that have served in short-term ministries. I thank God for the group that came to Brazil back in 2008 and helped in our church plant there in Brazil. And a number of others have served in different capacities. And here's an opportunity, folks, for another chance to minister. And praise God for those that are willing to step out in short-term ministries like this. But what about full-time? Yes, I've mentioned a few, and praise God for that. But how, do, how does somebody determine whether or not God is leading in their lives? Now, I look around, and I don't see too many young people here. I don't know if uh, there's a few over here. So I would ask you younger ones to pay attention this morning, but the rest of you can listen in as well, okay? Uh, you have my permission to do that. Scripture provides us with many principles, many truths, and even examples in regards to how God directs and leads when he calls people into his ministry. Now, I'm the first one to admit that God doesn't call everybody into the ministry full-time. However, the great commission that God gave to us through his son Jesus Christ is for everyone. We are all to be servants of the Lord. But I would like us to consider some principles, biblical principles, using an example of a particular person from the Bible, a well-known person. And for that, I invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that there's a couple chapters here at the beginning of Exodus where God extends a call to a particular person. And we want to look at how God directed and led in this particular person. Basically, I've entitled my sermon, What's That in Your Hand? What, what do you have in your hand to offer God? Uh, there are many, many misconceptions, I believe, in regards to how God works to lead someone into uh, his service, whether full-time or part-time. Knowing God's will... That's a big subject. That's a wide subject. I mean, it deals with all kinds of, of issues there. But we want to take a small snapshot today and consider some principles that hopefully will guide not only our young people who are listening here today, but also some of us that are not so young anymore, but are still able and willing to answer God's call. I have a riddle for you 
start out with, okay? What does a stick, a stone, a few small loaves of bread, and a few small fish have in common? Okay, a stick, a stone, a few small loaves of bread, and a few small fish. What do those have in common? Well, I don't really expect you to answer. Maybe you're thinking about one. But let's start out with a stick, okay? In Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, God is call, has called Moses to return to Egypt and uh, to lead his enslaved people out of slavery. And we read in the first couple verses of chapter 4 of Exodus, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me, or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Uh, chapters 3 and 4, Moses has all kinds of excuses. <laughs> he gives all kinds of excuses. But Lord, I can't talk. Well, interesting. Um, there's a, a verse in the New Testament where it says of Moses that he was gifted in speech. He was great in speech. He had been trained in the best, best education as the grandson of the Pharaoh. But that was one excuse, and there are various others. And here's one of them, too. He says, but Lord, they're not going to listen to me. They're going to make fun of me. I can't do this. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said a staff, a rod. Now, what is this? Well, simply put, it's a stick. That's all it was. It's, you know, he was a pastor of shepherds, or a, uh, a shepherd of sheep, and he had this, his rod that he used, and it's probably some stick he picked up somewhere along the way, maybe whittled it down a little bit or something, put a, a crook in it, who knows, but it was nothing more than a stick. Well, you know how God used that stick, right? Now, it wasn't the stick itself that, that uh, opened the waters of the Red Sea, but, or that brought water from the rock. That was God's power. But it was something in his hand that he willfully gave to God. God asked him, what is that in your hand? And he said, it's just a stick. And God showed how he could use a simple stick. Now, what about a stone? I'll give you a hint. Five smooth stones taken from a brook, put in a pouch. One smooth stone killed a giant. What about the fish and the bread? Well, here's a multitude before the Lord, and the Lord says to the disciples, uh, you give them food. And Andrew says, well, Lord, there's just this little guy right here. He's got a few bread and a few fish. What's that, so, what's that among so many people? And God said, watch and see. Now, we have heard, or I have heard, and perhaps you probably can identify with this, many different excuses used over the years by maybe even some of us. Have used some of these excuses or said, Lord, you know, not me. Um, here, in the case of, of Moses, Moses offers all these excuses. And in contrast to that, we find another, a little further on in the Old Testament, we find in the book of Isaiah where God calls someone else. And that was Isaiah. Okay, Isaiah chapter 6. And you know the familiar verse. Who shall I go, who shall go and who 
whom shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Lord, Lord, I'm right here. Send me. Well, let's combine Moses and Isaiah, okay? Here's what Moses said. Moses said, Lord, here am I. Send him. <laughs> Send her. But I'd like us to consider in the passage here, a little further along in Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 19. And for a little abbreviated time we have, we won't take the time to read through this at the beginning, but I'll read it in sections as we go along. But in Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 through 26, uh, we read about what finally happened at the end when, when Moses finally said, okay, Lord. So look at the passage with me, Exodus 4, verse, beginning at verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Now, up to this point, Moses had offered all kinds of excuses. Lord, I can't do this. What are they going to think of me? Uh, what's my family going to think of me? And so on and so forth. Three principles I'd like us to consider today. One is, and this talks about an order in which we need to consider God's leading in our lives, God's will. Commitment comes first, confirmation second. Commitment first, confirmation second. Now, Moses isn't the only example in the Bible where somebody asked God to confirm his calling before actually saying yes. And God in his graciousness often will do that. Not all the time. Not all the time. But oftentimes, Christians today, as they're considering what God has in store for them in their future, will often reverse these two things. They want a confirmation first, and then maybe they'll make the commitment. We want God to sort of part the waters uh, first, and then we'll decide whether we want to obey him or not. We want to see what's in front of us before we finally say, okay, Lord, I'll do that. But if we focus on God's confirmation first, we will most likely never make the commitment. If we look so much, if we require a confirmation, we will not most likely make a commitment. Parting of the Red Sea, parting of the Jordan River. Now, I know that Moses was not involved in the actual parting of the, Red, the, the Jordan River. But if I can use that example, we are told that before God parted the waters or stopped the waters of the Jordan River for them to finally cross over into the promised land, it said that, the, that the, the priests carrying the ark actually walked into the water. They actually stood in the water before the water was blocked. Sometimes we, we want God to show us a sign. Uh, I think of during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. How did, how did Israel know when to move and how far to go? Well, in that case, they had a cloud and they had a pillar of fire that God used to show them when they should move. But, you know, sometimes we need to learn to follow God even when we feel stuck. 
we think, Lord, you know, I don't know that I can be of any use. And we are better off to remain stuck in God's will than to wander off on our own. Now, back to Moses. It wasn't until Moses said, I will go. And that's basically what we have here. Uh, at beginning of verse 18, back here in Exodus 4, verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. So he finally has decided, yes, okay, I'll go, Lord, I'll go. And he actually starts on his journey that God showed him, this is the way, walk ye in it. So commitment comes first. Confirmation, second. Let's not demand of God to reveal to us, probably another example we can offer, that you might be thinking of as Gideon. You know, Lord, make it wet here and dry there. Now make it dry, wet here and dry there. God in his graciousness and mercy sometimes will allow that, but not always. Secondly, obedience first, new instruction second. Obedience first, new instruction second. One of the reasons we do not have more divine guidance in regards to God's direction, God's will in our lives, is that we have not followed the instruction that God has already given us in his word. Why do we complicate things so often? God has revealed his will already, folks, in many ways. Now, some of you have heard the old uh, illustration, Lord, write it in the sky so I know for sure, you know. Show me a sign. Guess what? God has done that already. For this is the will of God. Wouldn't it be great if we ran into passages where it actually says in black and white, for this is the will of God, guess what? There are places like that in the Scripture. Let me illustrate. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, to live a holy life. 1 Peter 2.15, by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What does the Lord require of you, says Micah 6.8? Now, it doesn't actually say this is the will of God, but it says this is what God requires of us. To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. This is the will of God. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that passage of the humbling of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. These are all commands, folks. These are what God wills that we be doing. Ever heard Romans 12, 1 and 2? Present your bodies. Be not conformed. Be transformed that you may know, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, if nothing else, that passage, and you've probably heard various sermons on that passage, one thing that that passage says is that God's will is something good. Okay? God's will is something good. He doesn't ask us to do something that's going to make us miserable. His will, in and of itself, is good. It's perfect. It's acceptable. Ephesians 5.17, be, 
do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He said, well, how do I do that? Duh, excuse me for my... <laughs> it's right here, folks. So much is right here. It's already been revealed. It's as if God is saying to us, even as he did to Moses, if you walk in the light that I've already given you, then I will give you more. If you walk in that which I have already told you, you need to be walking in on a daily basis, then I will give you more. Brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. How you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Commandments, okay? That's God's will. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this, this what? These commandments, these directives, does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. We have two things going for us, folks. We have this, and we have the Holy Spirit in us, who uses this to show us God's will. So, obedience first, new instruction second. As we read God's word, as we study God's word, as we meditate on God's word, and then as we put that into practice, God will then show us what's ahead. Thirdly, third principle, routine requirements first, great responsibilities second. Now, we come to a part of this, of this passage that's a little, um, we might say a little graphic, <laughs> a little personal, but let's read verses, beginning in verses 20, 24 and beyond. At a lodging place, okay, Moses and his family are now headed to Egypt. They're headed back to Egypt. And look what happens on the way. At a lodging place, on the way, on the way where? Back to Egypt. The Lord met him, who's him? Moses, and sought to put him to death. Whoa! <laughs> what? God sought to put Moses to death? Didn't he just finish calling him and now he's trying to kill him? What's going on here? Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he left him alone. It was then that, that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, we're not going to get into detail here. But basically what we have here is uh, a lack of, a pro of proper focus on the part of Moses. All right? Yes, Moses heard God's voice. After several excuses, he finally said, okay, I'll go, and he started, and that was good. But in the process, Moses was probably thinking, oh, man, you know, I got a big job ahead of me. I got to lead the whole nation out of slavery. How am I going to do that? And I'm sure that, humanly speaking, we would say, well, you know, it's just an oversight. Mm, well, God didn't think so. <laughs> what was his oversight? Well, he had two sons. Apparently one of them had, had uh, 
been, been put under the practice of circumcision, which was part of the covenant between Abraham, uh, the people of God, and God. And you might think, well, that was a small thing. Well, in God's eyes, it was not a small thing. It was not a small thing. And because Moses had failed to do that to his second son, God sought to kill Moses. Now, we can compare that to something that happened in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, we read this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out at a gnat and swallow a camel. I love that picture. <laughs> Here were, were religious leaders that their focus was so much on external things and on the, the nitty-gritty, the tiny little minute things that had some basis in the law. Some of it was tradition that they invented themselves, but some of it had a basis in the law. And they were so focused on that stuff that they neglected the big stuff. And Christ basically saying, hey, they're both important. You don't do one and neglect the other. Okay, you might think one is more important than the other, but they are both necessary. They both have a purpose. Categorizing and comparing is something that we all tend to do. The ministry that God has called our brother and sister to is quite different than the ministry that God has led us to. For many years, we're church planners in Brazil. Now I'm traveling globally, teaching, involved in teaching of national church leaders. Now, I could compare that. I could spend all kinds of time and say, well, you know, my, bit, my work is more important than his work. And, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm being facetious here. You understand this, right? But we tend to do that sometimes. We compare and we compete. And we view certain things as too mundane or insignificant. Ah, you know, what he does is not as important as what I do as compared to something else. And thus we overlook or neglect that. In the case of Moses here, he had neglected what in his mind perhaps was something insignificant, but with God, God saw it from a whole, whole different perspective. And as we think about God's leading in our lives, we need to be very careful not to end up comparing and competing. All ministries are important. God has called each one of us to be either a hand or an eye or a nose or a foot. We're part of the body. And each one of us has its own functions. We all serve together. Moses' big focus on the emancipation of Israel from Egypt may very well have contributed to his neglect in the matter fulfilling the Abrahamic covenants requirements of the circumcision of his son. And God reminded him via his wife that it's not an either-or situation, it's a both-and. It's not either-or, it's a both-and. Praise God for people that have the know-how of building churches and helping the actual structures and so forth. 
Praise God for teachers. Praise God for medics. Praise God for, for pilots and all the other whole gamut of people that serve the Lord across the world today. A commentary said this. Jesus' main point when he was, when he was criticizing the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees was not to condemn their observance of the law's finer points. The problem was that they neglected the weightier matters, the moral principles underlying all the laws. They were satisfied with their focus on the incidentals, on the externals. They wanted to be seen by men. They wanted to be praised by men. But they willfully resisted the spiritual meaning of the law, mercy, faith, and justice. He told them that they should have concentrated on those larger issues without leaving out the others. So in this case, I see more as a, not this first and this second, but rather as an, a both and, a both and. Great responsibilities do not cancel out routine requirements. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, okay, we've heard an appeal this morning for workers, for helpers, those that are both willing and able and perhaps talented in helping out in a building project. But there are also others. He mentioned skilled laborers, but he mentioned, you know, we can use others that are at least willing to come and do whatever. We have routine requirements that God requires of us each and every day. And what are those? To spend time with God. To spend time in his word. To feed ourselves spiritually. And as we do that, God will direct. Now, our focus is so often on what's ahead. What's ahead? What's ahead? What comes next? What comes next? <laughs> so what am I supposed to do with all this? Well, let me just quickly review here the three principles, okay? Commitment comes first, confirmation second. Obedience first, new instruction second. And then routine requirements and great responsibilities, both are essential. So what do I do with this? Some practical suggestions for your consideration. First of all, determine to live your daily lives in humble obedience and submission to God's already revealed will. If you're concerned about God's will for your life, start working on what he has already revealed. And he's given plenty. There is plenty here. How can we expect him to lead us in the future if we're not doing what he requires of us today? Two, serve God where you're at. That means here. Right here, right now. I praise God for the number of you that I've known over the years that have faithfully served the Lord in some capacity or other in this church, outside the church. Praise God for you. But serve God where you're at. If you want to know what God has on down the way for you, start right now, right here. And let God deal with what comes next. Three, submit whatever you have in your hand whether little or much, to God. 
You might, you might, like Moses, say, well, Lord, I don't have anything to offer. <laughs> All I got is a stick. God says, well, let me have it. See what I can do with it. I've often joked about the fact that when I finally yielded to the Lord's direction in my life to be a missionary, which I fought for many years, <laughs> Lord, you know, I was one of those, I'll do anything except, well, the except I've been doing now for almost 40 years. But when I finally yielded to the Lord, as Moses did, finally, I said, Lord, I don't have much to offer. I was, some of you know, I was an athlete. I was a runner. I did well in high school and college. And I had my sights on one day being a famous athlete, Olympic athlete. And I said, Lord, all I know how to do well is to run. Wow, that's really going to be useful in the ministry. You can run. Woo! You may not think you have much in your hand, but whatever you have, give it to God. Trust your future to God. Young people, I know that you're listening in on this one right now. Trust your future to God. Pray that he will control your circumstances. He will control your attitudes, your actions, your reactions, your contacts, your life experiences. I mentioned two or three people from this church who years ago committed to the Lord, and God has used them. Five, be careful not to compare and compete. There is no room in the ministry, whether it be full-time or just service within the church, within the community, to compare and compete. Yes, we tend to do that. I am a competitor by nature. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And then finally, be moldable and teachable. Uh, our brother even mentioned this, be teachable. Uh, and that goes for some of us white-haired people as well, folks. We think that when we get to a certain age, we think, ah, oh, I know it all. You can't teach me anything new. I know it all. Well, guess what? We don't. <laughs> we don't. And the moment we, we fall into that trap, they might as well just go ahead and put a six foot under. <laughs> you know what I mean? Be moldable and teachable. Be moldable and teachable. So what do you got in your hand today? No matter your age, no matter your circumstances of life, what do you got in your hand? You may not think it's much, but trust it to the Lord. See what he will do with it. And take these principles, take his word, allow the Holy Spirit within us to, with this instrument, guide us. We have enough to do on a daily basis. Let's seek to do that and trust that God will then lead in the future details of things. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the examples from scripture that help us to focus a little bit more on what it is that you would have us to do on a daily basis. And then as we do that, Lord, you direct our future steps. As it is said in the Proverbs, Lord, man plans his ways, but God directs his steps. And so I ask that today, whether young or old here today, that we might seek to have the direction of your word, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, 
to take those steps day by day, moment by moment, and then as we look to the future, trust you to give guidance and wisdom as we fulfill that which you have already asked us to do. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.